As an award-winning entrepreneur, a baconatrician, which is a vegetarian who still eats bacon, a former rapper who opened for the Wu-Tang Clan, and a previously 332-pound man who since lost 120 of those despite his affinity for bacon, have in common? Well, they're all the same guy. Jason Goldberg, JG for short, is a geek turned entrepreneur turned transformational speaker, trainer, and coach. Oh, and he's a rule breaker too. Gotta love those. Alright, so let's talk about rules for a second. Now, rules can be great because rules are set up in some respects to protect us or to guide us, but what happens is sometimes the rules become our ruler, right? They become this ruling, powerful entity that tells us what we can and cannot do. And so I want to take just a few minutes to talk about breaking the rules. And me, because I am such a model of excellence and leadership in my coaching and in my speaking, I am going to take the lead and I am going to break the rules first. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to break all the rules of creating a professional personal development video by doing two things. Number one, I don't know if you can see her or not, but my dog Lola is right here in the corner. I don't know if you can see her over here. And, and, and in full disclosure, I've been trying to get her to sit next to me and she wouldn't do it. She walked away, so I'm done with her. But I have my dog in my personal development video. On top of that, I love socks and these socks are cool. They're purple and they're blue and they're orange and you're not supposed to do that in the video either, but I'm gonna break all the rules and do that. Now wait, listen. Listen carefully. Did the world end? 
No? No? Okay. And how many of you are just so disgusted by my blatant breaking of the rules that you switch the video off just like that? There's no way we'll ever know that because the rest of you are still here. But the point is, is that rules are great when they can empower us, right? When they can put us in a certain direction or give us some kind of boundaries to work within that help us to move forward. But if not, if they're not an empowering type of rule, they can actually be one of the biggest barriers to our success in general. And I saw this for a fact when I was coaching this woman recently, amazing, ambitious, just super awesome entrepreneur who was looking to grow a certain part of her business, but she wasn't able to do it. And she had a bunch, a laundry, li a laundry list of reasons why she couldn't grow that business. Uh, she wasn't prominent enough in her business community. She hates networking. She didn't have some elaborate internet marketing funnel like a lot of other people in her industry had. So the challenge here actually wasn't that those rules existed. It was that she actually believed that those rules applied to her, but they didn't. So for example, she hates networking, but it's because she believed the rule that it had to be this exercise in speed dating and forcibly shoving business cards into people's faces, and that belief held her back. She was great at connecting with people when she brought them together. Why does this have to be any different? Or the fact that she didn't like the rule of only reaching out to people when you had something to sell them. But she loved having meaningful conversations with people so she could deepen and strengthen her relationship with them and see how she could make their lives better. See, what she realized through our coaching and what I'm hoping that you're seeing now by watching this video is that when I say the rules don't apply to you, what I'm saying is that you never again have to blindly follow something you've seen or heard just because somebody said that was the way that it was done or that was the way that it had to be. The fact is this, you make up the rules based on what you choose to create and how you choose to create it. It's as simple as that. When you own the process of creating those rules, you're gonna be in love with them. They're gonna give you permission to do what you do best instead of creating these rules and barriers and brick walls that you end up just banging your head against trying to force through. You don't have to do that. And it brings up this great story of a Zen cone. A Zen cone is a parable, a riddle that doesn't really have a rational answer and it's passed down from Zen monks to their students to try to get them to think, to really meditate and, and figure out the answer to these different riddles. And there's this one, it sounds horrible, but it's a, it's a really great riddle. It's about putting a baby goose in a bottle and you bring its neck out through the top of the bottle and you feed it and you allow it to grow and you nurture it, but inside that bottle to the point that it has grown full grown inside this bottle, just his head sticking out of the top. And the Zen cone goes, how do you get the goose out of the bottle without breaking these two rules? Number one, you can't kill the goose. And number two, you can't break the bottle. So the Zen monks would give this to the students and they'd go off and they'd meditate and they'd go on to retreats and they'd you know, talk to wise people and try to find the answer to this Zen cone. Now one time the Zen cone was told to a child the child listened intently as the Zen master said, remember, there's only two rules. You can't kill the goose and you can't break the bottle. How do you get the goose out of the bottle? The kid thought about it for a second and said, you break the bottle. See, the point here is that just because somebody tells you there are certain rules or that those rules apply to you, when you're in control, when you're an owner of your spirit and your creation, you choose what those rules are for you. Don't blindly follow somebody else's rules just because they say that's the way it has to be done. 
So with that being said, from me, from Lola, Lola, do you have any questions, anything to add? No? You're just going to kind of lounge there like you do the other 23 and a half hours of the day? Cool. So from Lola and I, get out there, free your goose in any way you know how, create your own rules, and I'll see you soon. As the founder of Miometry.com, JG delivers talks and trainings and coaches thousands of aspiring leaders, entrepreneurs, and groups to create the mindset and the skill set to take ownership of their reality, commit to the creative action, become more prosperous, and have a bigger impact on the world. He's also a guest lecturer at Entheos, a platform that I'm honored to be an ambassador on. And he offers courses about all of that and so much more. Clearly, he's passionate about helping you win. In fact, he's all about conquering your fears, planning your escape, and creating something epic. Ready? Jason, welcome to the Global Movement Summit. It is absolutely amazing to have you on the call. Well, I'm so incredibly happy to be here, and uh, I thank you so much for having me. Pleasure, pleasure, absolutely. Um, Well, we've just kind of been getting a little bit of a background in terms of uh, who you are and your kind of personal transformation journey to getting to where you are and um, launching a new company, Mirtri. Just tell me a little bit about that, because it's it's quite an interesting name. So how did that come to be for you? Yeah, so it was interesting. So I really wanted to have uh, like a fun, catchy kind of name. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my a lot of my background and a lot of the things I just like are, are involved in marketing and branding. And so, you know, I started and said, oh, let me try and think of something really cool that really reflects me. And, and so the reason that meometry came to be is that it's really a separation of two words. It's me and then uh, the metry. And metry is, you know, the measure of right? And just like geometry, you know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a measure of, of angles. And so for me, meometry was kind of the the measurement for me of my own personal success, of my own personal happiness, my own personal fulfillment. And so there are as many meometries as there are people on the planet, because for everybody, it's going to be their own personal measure. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Like I've known it as, as the formula for success or, you know, the formula of, of yourself, but I love, I love your little twist on that. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And and I think that is so important. I mean, we're both kind of from the coaching realm and, you know, coaches, consultants, they're often cookie-cut experiences mm. and cookie-cut people. And um, very often there's, sure, there's best practices and we need to kind of be aware of them. But everyone's going to have a very different rise to the top or a rise to wherever they need to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, it's so true what you say. And, and it's something I see a lot, especially with newer coaches and, mm. and myself included when I first started was I felt like I had to have this, you know, proprietary methodology. I had to have this acronym that was how I coached because that was what was going to make me better and distinguish me from everybody else. But the truth is, and not just in coaching, but in any business under the sun, um, especially ones that are connection based like coaching or even in things like sales and, and in marketing, it's really you, how you show up, what you bring to the table, your unique perspective and experiences that differentiate you and not some, you know, proprietary process or, 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 or some marketing tagline or branding. It's really about the way you show up uh, in the world and with the people you work with. 
I love that. I love that. Because it really, we get so caught up in the label of it. Like, I'm a coach or I'm a consultant or I'm a change maker. And we forget that that's actually the process that we're doing. We're actually in that evolutionary space. And you don't actually need a badge or a title or a cap or some sort of endowment to be able to go out there and be the best you or change the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's that's the exact antithesis that that kind of makes it all about you at that point. Right. So if I go into a situation and I'm super concerned about how I'm going to describe, you know, what I do and, and I'm, you know, I'm speaking about this as somebody who encountered this as well. This is not just something that, you know, the peons out there encounter. This is something that I've dealt with my entire life and in different uh, careers that I've had back when I was you know, in, in a corporate position for 15 years in IT and then leaving that. And and this is now my third time being an entrepreneur. I, I launched two other companies before I really dove uh, full blown into speaking and coaching for a living. And it's always this thing like, how do you position yourself? What's your elevator pitch? And all of those things to me are very egocentric. It's all about me. And, and the only way to really, in my opinion, uh, the only way to really build wealth in this world is to, is to be profoundly of service to other people. Mm-hmm. And so when we're worried a lot about what we say we do and how we're going to come across, we're detaching ourselves from the real issue at hand. And that's helping the person across from us have a better life. And that doesn't matter if you're a coach. If you're a real estate agent and you're selling houses, your goal should not be to sell houses. Your goal should be to make that person's life better. They want security for their family. They want a safe area. They want comfortable surroundings so they feel you know happy when they come home and can relax. There's so many things that are all issues or challenges or problems in people's lives. And the more that we work to solve those problems, the more prosperous we're going to be in whatever industry we're in. For sure. And, and it's also such a borderline kind of thing because in a way you do look at me you look in the context of where you are, and then you also realize it's not about you. It's about how you serve the collective, but mm-hmm. without losing yourself in all of that. Because I often see like this whole label of heart-centered entrepreneurs. I don't know. They're just kind of these like fluid little beings or blobs walking around the world. They don't actually have any <laughs> definition or structure. It's just like, you know, they have some kind of weird Picasso painting and just surrealism and, and morphing into the environment. And you, you've still got to create that structure and that boundary without, around you without you know, losing yourself in that. So, so how have you seen that? Um, and how have you experienced that, if you have? Yeah, so, so can, you, can you rephrase the question for me a little bit? So, so at what point does it become about you? And at what point does it become about me? And where is the actual place that we live in? Yeah, that's yeah, that's great. So uh, I think the more so there's two sides of the coin and, and I'm, you know, I speak primarily from from the coaching and speaking realm mm-hmm. and the personal development realm because that's the world I live in. But I truly believe this exists everywhere is that in any any business that you run, uh, especially as an entrepreneur where you wear a lot of the hats, it's really the definition or the distinction between being in your ego and being in your service. Mm-hmm. And so if it ever becomes about me, then that means I'm an ego and I'm no longer in service. Um, so anytime I'm working with a prospect or a client or anybody in general that I, I truly want to make their life better in some way, I have to drop all of my self-image and my notion of self-importance and all of these things about me and how I come across mm-hmm. because it's more important and to me it's more effective to be interested as opposed to being interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh yes. Such so I mean, so it, it never, yeah. So it never, it never really becomes about me. Now that's not to say that it's not about me inside myself. In that. I want to be fulfilled in the work that I'm doing. I want to be inspired by the people I work with. So, of course, while I'm serving other people, I have to make the decision of, is this somebody that I would enjoy working with, right? I'm not just going to sign up and coach everybody. I, I regularly turn people away either for, for programs or for one-on-one coaching. And it's not because there's anything wrong with them. It's just because I personally know that that's not where either my gifts or my talent or my energy lie in working with them. And so in that sense, it is about me. It's about me being really in touch with my core values, what I know makes me enthusiastic, what makes me have high energy, which makes me want to really show up as my best self. So in that sense, it is about me. But in the interaction itself, it's never about me. Mm. But it also kind of speaks to that whole idea of, you know, like attracts like and, you know, you start mirroring. We, we use that word a lot in coaching. Like you start mm-hmm. mirroring your kind of experiences. And I guess when you, when you start having clients that project the best you, then you can start helping them project their best self. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally believe that. I think that having two people uh, in a space together that really do hold um, similar, it doesn't even have to be necessarily similar values or a similar purpose, but just a similar commitment to whatever the thing is they're committed to. Like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, if I, when I coach people, I don't care what they're committed to achieving. I just care that they're committed to achieving mm-hmm. and I'm committed to their commitment, right? So it doesn't matter if they want to be a best-selling author or if they want to start a business or if they, you know, want to find a partner and, and, you know, in marriage, I, I don't, I don't care about the end result. I just care that they're committed and I'll do anything I can to support them in doing that. And that's just something that doesn't happen nearly enough outside of a coaching relationship. It'd be great if you could get that from everybody in the world, but that just doesn't really happen that often. And so that's why I have my own coach, uh, Steve Chandler. And that's why I coach others because that's just where the magic happens. It sure does. And, and, and in that space, you get to practice so many different experiences. Like one of the things that you were kind of talking about in, in one of your last blog posts or your videos is it's not about willpower. It's about being a stepladder. So kind of like, being in that process of evolution and really being committed to your end goal and throwing yourself all into it. Yeah, absolutely. And and being patient with it, right? So, you know, I, I was actually coaching somebody earlier today and he's a, he's a really just very, very skilled uh, trainer, personal trainer. And he's, he's building up his personal training, you know, empire and expanding into different offerings and online things and offline things. And, and he was comparing himself uh, during our call today with somebody else in the industry. And so we start kind of just taking a look at, well, what is this person doing, right? Why, why reinvent the wheel? Let's see what he's doing really well and see how that applies to your own practice. And, and we're going through that. And I had never heard of this guy before that he's comparing himself to. I'm not familiar with the personal training industry like that. And he's telling me about this other guy and then lets me know that this guy has eight years of training experience more than my client. And, and it's just such a, that was a great moment for us to just hit the pause button on everything tactical and strategic we were doing and just say, Hey, let's celebrate the fact that you've been doing this for like a year and have had tremendous success. And if you're going to look at somebody that's eight years ahead of you as inspiration, as proof in the market that you can do it because he did it, then great. But if you're going to look at that person and compare yourself to them as a way to, to tear yourself down, 
that that's just not that's not cool. I, I won't I won't support that. I won't co-sign that. And so we were able to take a step back and realize that, you know, it's great to have a belief. You have to have a belief in yourself. I, I believe you have to have a deep desire. You have to have a, a commitment to take action. But at the end of the day, you also got to be patient and, and really disconnect from any expectation of what the outcome has to look like or how fast it has to happen. Because if you don't do that, if you're super attached to the outcome, you lose track of the journey you're on, you lose track of why you got into it in the first place, and it just sets you up for disappointments like any other expectation in life. It just sets you up for disappointments if you set a hard expectation of how something has to look and how long it has to take to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I see quite a lot of purpose-centered entrepreneurs, freelancers, creative creatives, kind of stepping into the space because they it's it's so easy to project and it's so easy to just kind of see somebody else in the game who's doing it mm-hmm. and think that you need to to go that route and think that that's conventional meanwhile in their time they were completely being unconventional they were sticking to authenticity and doing what works and it's it's just an interesting game and watching it play out yeah it it absolutely is and and that's just you know, we, we all get that way. We all want things to happen. Not everybody. Some people just are, you know, are really good about being patient or they've cultivated that patience. But especially when you're excited about something, you you want it to happen quickly. That's just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, the way it goes. Any, anytime you're excited about anything, you, you know, there's more energy, there's more uh, urgency around it a lot of times. And, you know, what I've learned is that if I'm not having fun, if I'm not in my enthusiastic mode enthusiasm is like my word like that's you know that's that's why i love like entheos and and entheos being the god within and that being the 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 root of the word enthusiasm because when i really look that's the one word that describes when i'm really in my genius is when i'm enthusiastic and so i know that in order for me to be enthusiastic i can't be too serious i i have to be playful i have to have fun i have to make a game out of the things i'm doing because if not it becomes work and I don't want to I don't want to work. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll do things that have to get done because they're a part of the process. But I don't want it to feel like that. I want it to have I want to have fun with what I'm doing or it's just not worth my time. Well, that's why we're here, isn't it? I mean, that's that's why we're not playing this other game that why we're not playing it small or playing the corporate game unless that's our idea of fun. But that's why we're really stepping into a new way of being and living with purpose and passion and all these amazing things. We just want to have fun and we want to give something back to the world. Yep. That's it. And, and, and that's really, that's a choice. And you know, that's, that can be difficult sometimes. I think for people who uh, are transitioning, this is maybe the, the less glamorous side of, of, you know, personal development and of transitioning from being an employee to an entrepreneur, which ends up being a lot of the people that I coach just because that's been my story is, you know, I'm a believer in a lot of sense, in a lot of senses, excuse me, that the, the way we do anything is the way we do everything. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because I, I remember somebody in particular, I was coaching that worked for a big fortune 500 company and, and wanted to transition out of that and and be an entrepreneur and and own his own company. And one of the big things we worked on while he was still in that company, as he was working to transition out, was the fact that he had these feelings of anger and resentment and frustration at the company. Like the, it was the company's fault that he wasn't able to go do what he loved. It was the company's fault that he's been stuck in this job, stuck, quote, in this job for the past 10 years. And it was really important to me that we work through that because I said, listen, you know, it may seem really glamorous to go be an entrepreneur, but if you don't have the right mindset for the, the project and the task you're undertaking, all these feelings are going to come along with you. A change of scenery is not going to change who you show up as in the world. 
And he didn't believe me, didn't believe me, didn't believe me. We ended up getting through the transition and, and he's now full time in his, his work. We stopped coaching about six months ago. And then he reached out to me last week and said, you were absolutely right. I'm in my own business full time, making great money as an entrepreneur. And I'm resentful and I'm angry and I'm frustrated because all this work that I'm getting from clients is forcing me to not have as much free time, not have as much fun with other things that I thought I would have as an entrepreneur. And so you know, we're working through that now, but I just think it's really important for anybody who is thinking about transitioning or is a new entrepreneur to recognize that your mindset, the way you approach these things, your being is so much more important than whatever it is you're doing in your business. Mm. What you're being is your business. What yeah. you're being is your brand. It's your mindset. It, it all feeds into it, especially as an entrepreneur, because you're so closely involved in, in all the elements, regardless of how much of a team or non-existent team you have on, on there. Yeah, absolutely. You you are the brand. You are the, the face. You are the, the gut. You are the heart. You are the soul of whatever it is that you're creating and whoever it is you're connecting with. Mm. One of the things I love that you kind of said in there was, and I'm not saying that this is the defining piece of it because there's so many pieces to it, but it really feels like it comes down to taking responsibility for what you're doing mm -hmm. and taking ownership mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. those, are, those are hard things to do. Those are really hard things to do. Like hmm. once you kind yeah. of, when, when you're on the fringe of them, like when you're just stepping into it, what has been your kind of process in dealing with that or with your clients in terms of that, in terms of how people listening in on this call can take responsibility for what it is that they're putting out there and take ownership. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's that's for me, and, and you and I have talked about this before, but that's for me, that's really the cornerstone of, of my, my beliefs because yeah. it's been the thing that transformed me. I mean, I, I grew up my entire life as a victim. Um, I was, you know, I was raised by a single mother. I was an only child. I still am an only child. And, uh, and I was, you know, everything happened to us, you know, like, why can't we get a break? Oh, it's just my luck. I, I don't know if I can get through this. Just all this, you know, reliance on circumstance, outside circumstance to, you know, make us happy or sad. If something good happened on the outside, then we were happy. If something bad happened on the outside, we had bad luck and we were sad. And, and that's the only way that I knew who to, you know, how to be. And, and that carried along into my adult life to where I became morbidly obese, you know, 332 pounds. I'm, I'm six foot one, but 332 pounds is, is huge. Uh, very, very unhealthy. And I, I had a lot of uh, potential health problems. And this is at the age of 30 that I'm 332 pounds. And it's, it's all because I was a victim. Oh, well, I couldn't do this to lose weight. I couldn't make time to work out. It's just not in my bone structure. It's just not in my genetics. And all these other people have special advantages and I can't get through that. And so I, that happened to me on the physical side, but also the mental side. At that same time in my life is when I was you know, making six figures a year, uh, actually in my 20s, making six figures a year as the director of a tech firm. And I was super stressed and anxious and I had a horrible temper. I would, you know, punch holes in walls and I would chase people if they cut me off in traffic. Like I was really messed up. And it was because I blamed everything on everything outside of me. Mm -hmm. And I refused to take any ownership or responsibility. So once I finally realized that that was a choice, Right. It's not something I honestly it isn't something that requires a lot of work. It's not something that you need to go to a coach for six months or a year or go to a therapist for six months or a year or do all this deep inner work in the Himalayas. It's really it's just a choice. 
We choose in every moment whether we are going to be victims of circumstance or if we are going to be owners who exercise our responsibility, not responsibility like obligation and blame, but our ability to respond. Mm. And every single one of us is born with the ability to respond in the way that we want to. And it's a matter of whether we have the awareness of that. And then once we have the awareness, whether we choose to react from a place that's an owner that allows us to take control and decides what to do next, or if we decide to react and be a victim and just hope that things get better around us. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so powerful because it is that single choice. And any second of the day, we can choose to, to alter our experience of the day or what we're putting out there. But then we need to bring that awareness into that. And what seems to live on the other side of that is this thing called transformation. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And and something, a question I get a lot of times, especially when I do talks on this whole owner-victim distinction, and I call it different things for different people. But mm-hmm. since we're talking about it in this context, the owner-victim distinction, a lot of people ask, well, how do I become 100% owner? Mm-hmm. And the answer is you don't. It's it's we're still humans. The goal is not to become a hundred percent owner where nothing ever phases you. I mean, great if if that's what you want to do, then that's that's I guess fine to work towards. But I'm definitely not going to sit here and say that every single second of every single day I make the choice to be an owner. But what I do know is that when I do not make the choice to be an owner and I instead choose to be a victim, we may think that we're not choosing and that we just become a victim, but we are choosing to be a victim. So. In any given moment, if I choose to be a victim, my work in that moment is to say, oh, okay, well, that just happened and I just chose to be a victim. But you know what? Mm-hmm. I can make another choice right now. I can move forward and, and change that going forward. It's not something where if you don't do 100% of the time, you're a failure. It's like you said, it's a moment by moment decision. Sometimes you'll make a decision to be an owner. Sometimes you'll make a decision to be a victim. But the key is to have that awareness that you are in control of choosing and then choosing whatever it is that would best serve you from that point. Mm. And I think what's also really important to bring up is how many faces of victim there are. I mean, I'm not Mm. talking about the archetypes. I mean, that's also important. But you can be a victim of just holding yourself back from something small, just stepping Mm -hmm. out of the shadows of your own greatness, just doing something exponentially smaller rather than being the poor pity party and, you know, the clouds constantly raining on me and everything's terrible. So, Mm -hmm. So just noticing where you are in all of that is so important. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right. And so if for anybody listening, if the, if the term victim doesn't resonate with you, maybe you, you, you know, we're not talking about victimization here, right? Like yes. being victimized, being burglarized or being attacked physically or whatever. That's not what we're talking about being a victim. That's traumatic. That's a whole different thing. We're talking about everyday situations and, and how you respond to them. But if the word victim doesn't resonate with you, another way that I, I have talked about this besides owner victim is to make the distinction of leader versus protector. And I, br- I bring that up because what you just said about the, the many faces of a victim is really what a protector is. And this is us protecting ourselves from what could be by shrinking down into what we know to be true right in this moment. We protect ourselves from any greatness we could encounter. We protect ourselves from any failure we could encounter. It's all about putting ourselves in a bubble and not getting outside of that bubble. So we have that comfort, that protection, that security and no growth lives inside that bubble. Mm-hmm. That comfort zone is the funniest thing. Like, I remember, I mean, we always kind of say, oh, nothing happens inside your comfort zone. But it was, I don't know why, like, we always think it's safe. And I remember at one point <laughs> sitting there going, 
actually, I'm, I'm not that happy. I'm not earning as much as I want to be earning. I'm not kind of doing the work. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. Or it's maybe better than good. But it's not great. <laughs> it's, it's not that. It's like, actually, this isn't comfortable. This isn't mm. safe. Like, what would actually be comfortable and safe lives on the other side of this thing that I just need to step through. And, like, when I had that shift a couple of years back, I was just like, ah, oh, that's such a different thing. Like, what is this comfort zone? Like, wh- at what point did we label this comfortable? Nice. Yeah, you're, you're right. That's a great point. Yeah, it's, it's more like a discomfort zone <laughs> than a comfort zone. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I love that. No, it, it's crazy. And, um, yeah, and then mastery and everything you want is on the other side. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, this, this whole idea of transformation, um, I think you had the quote on your website, life is not about finding yourself, it's about creating yourself. Mm, yeah. Um, every now and then, like, I don't know why, but it stumps me. And I'm like, okay, there's parts of me that have found myself and there's a, a lot of people finding themselves. And then mm. there's the creating yourself, which also naturally happens, you know, the caterpillar to a butterfly kind of evolution. Mm-hmm. And there's something, there's an argument that seems to happen in between around authenticity and like where do you live and what's really powerful. Have, have you seen that play out? Yeah, so I mean, I think that like words like finding versus creating, it's sometimes it can be semantics, but mm. I, I like to think that, you know, we're born, um, hmm, that we're born kind of like tofu. And I, I don't know. I don't know if you eat tofu or if tofu is big in South Africa, but <laughs> but tofu is is quite big over here uh, uh-huh. in the states. And and for those of you who have never eaten tofu, it's this like soybean based product, and and it's it's vegetarian and and uh, and it's a good protein source, but it also doesn't taste like anything. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's a completely it's a completely blank palate until you throw some teriyaki sauce on it or some barbecue or some salt or some pepper and you season it and then it becomes something different that you create with this blank canvas by by adding other gifts and other 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 uh, uh, seasons and flavors and variations to it so I feel like that's kind of how we're born I don't feel like we're born to be anything I don't feel like we're born with any fixed personality uh, or persona or character traits I feel like we are born and then we create anything that we want so when when people have transformations or they 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 uncover uh, or rediscover their uh, their core purpose or their core values or whatever it is for them, they have essentially, in my mind, created a new version of themselves that now is in alignment with those things. Mm-hmm. So so you could say they found their values, but to me, it's like with this newfound awareness of my values, what do I do, right? Because information is way different than transformation. So you could fill out, you know, you could do something right now. You could fill out a thing that tells you your, you know, you, where you find your top five core values. And I've, I've even, you know, written a, an ebook where you can find your core values, and it's great. You have your core values now. What? Like wonderful. You have some information that doesn't do anything until you actually take it from information to transformation. And to me, that's where the creation part happens. You say, okay, I know these core values. Now, how do I start living them? How do I create a new version of myself? How do I reinvent myself with this new awareness, this new information as a part of who I am? Mm-hmm. So speak into that a little bit more, like what, what, what would be the process the person would go through looking at that? Yeah. So, okay. So if we look at core values, for example, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, for me, um, 
some of my core values, well, I've mentioned enthusiasm, um, growth, uh, inspiration, autonomy, and authenticity. Those are my top five core values. And so just to know those is information. Great. No, no, no real big deal. I mean, it's like, oh, fun. I know my core values. Like, that's cute. Um, but then what do you do, right? So if, if I'm going to create myself or reinvent myself using those things, I'm going to say, how am I approaching life right now? What are the actual things I'm doing on a daily basis? Let me even write those out. Let me, let me look at my calendar for the last five days and go through and see everything I was doing. And I'm going to make a little mark next to each one that actually embodied or encompassed one or two or three or maybe all five of my core values. And so if I go back through that list and I say, oh my gosh, no wonder I feel so empty and deflated. Three out of the last five days, I didn't exercise any of my core values. I was doing things that I didn't enjoy and that I wasn't in alignment with and served no purpose in my life and didn't make me feel like I was of service or I was making an impact or I was connecting with people or I was contributing or I was growing. No wonder I feel like this. So again, now that I have this information, again, it's still just information at this point. What can I do differently? How can I structure my activities going forward so that I bring some of those core values into what I'm doing? How do I create a calendar or create a task list or create a project or create some way to bring those core values into what I do every day? That's where the transformation occurs. Mm, for sure, for sure. Because, um, yeah, you've got to really be putting it into practice. And, and again, it's that fine line between doing and being all of the, those different things you need one in the context of the other, but mm-hmm. it's, it is such a powerful distinction to make. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also a place where you get to practice, again, practice what you preach, practice being courageous, practice being transformative. And I, I, I like to twist the, the quote instead of be the change you want to be, be the experience you want to be, the mm. experience you want to create in the world. Because mm-hmm. then you're, you're, if we go to law of attractions or, or those kinds of things, you're putting out that energy and you're really embodying it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So how have you seen this play out in, in the kind of work that you do? So specifically around creating or how do you mean? The, the transformation process and creating. Yeah, so I think that I think transformation can actually happen instantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a matter of, you know, transformation is really seeing the exact same thing um, in a different way than you previously saw it. So that, you know, that can happen at a split second. And, you know, Byron Katie's old example, if you're walking through the, the desert and uh, and you see a big coiled up snake and you just you get super frightened and you're like, oh, my God, this thing's going to bite me and kill me. And then you look a little closer and it's just a coiled up piece of rope. You're seeing the exact same thing, but you've been transformed because now you're no longer afraid for your life. You're looking at it and saying, oh, it's just a meaningless piece of rope. There's there's nothing that it can do to harm me. So so I think transformation can happen that quickly. And for some people, it does. For some people, it's enough to give them an awareness, enough to help them have an awareness of what's going on in their world. And it it just clicks and they know and they move forward and everything's great. Some people, it takes a little longer because they have these stories. They have, you know, they, they it's it's been built up for so long um, that they've been living a certain way. And it's almost like, it's almost like a different language. It is, it's a, it's a different language. So it's, and there's nothing wrong with people that, that, that have that issue. And, and, and so what I mean by that is, for example, like for me, being a victim all those years, there was nothing wrong with me. Like I didn't, I didn't need to be fixed. I wasn't broken as a victim. I was just a victim. It was just an information uh, point. It was a data point that was just showing how I was showing up in the world. 
it's because I had no model and no awareness of what it meant to be an owner that I just didn't have access to it. So it's the exact same uh, example as if you said this person was raised in a house where all they spoke was English and now they're a grown up and they don't know how to speak French. There's nothing wrong with them. They just were never exposed to French. Right. Mm -hmm. So so that was that's the thing with me. And that's what happens a lot with transformation. And the work that I do is that it's giving people access to a new language. There's nothing wrong with them that they didn't learn the language earlier in their life. And it's not there's nothing wrong with them that it's been so many years and they never learned this language. It can all start today. It starts with one piece of awareness. It starts with accepting that something can be different. And then, as you said, it starts with applying it, practicing it and making it a part of your life. So transformation can happen a split second. It can happen over the course of years. It's really up to the person and how how quickly they want to create this new version of themselves. For sure, for sure. And then also in, in the, those moments of transformation and perspective, you, as you were saying, that coiled snake is now this little thing. Like I remember used to thinking about tasks, and I always used to make them these gigantic monsters. And when I looked at them, and I was like, oh, it's actually like a little chihuahua or something <laughs> else, you know? It's like it's not the boogeyman, and like we, we really do create it, and like we're the victims of our own creations. We constantly putting up these obstacles and you know maybe it's some limiting belief or maybe it's just obstacles we put in our way but it's it's hilarious in that moment where you can actually look at it and see it for what it is yeah absolutely like, and we, then, we could so, all be stand-up comedians yeah, <laughs> we really could. It's very true. And well, and it, it just you made me think of something, too, that I think is really important for anybody listening to this is that, you know, there's another layer to being a victim that a lot of people don't talk about. Mm. And it's it's being a victim of your victimness. And so what I mean by that is the last thing I would want in the world, and, and that's why I'm making sure I, I say this before the end of the interview, the last thing I would want to have in the world is for somebody to listen to this and say, oh, my gosh, I get it. I've been a victim. Okay, that, that part's okay. That's fine. And then for the next statement to say, oh, my God, I cannot believe I let myself be a victim for so long. I'm so stupid. How could I let this happen to me? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're becoming a victim of being a victim. And, like, I don't want anybody to think that. So when you walk away from this and, and you're done listening, if you do see some victim tendencies inside you, then great. That That's a beautiful, exciting, empowering awareness because you've now done the hardest step, and that's to, to admit an awareness that something could be different and that you have a willingness to change. And then the second part of that is if you leave this and say, oh, my gosh, I just realized what's wrong with my husband or my wife. They're a victim. Please do not go tell them that I said that you should tell them that they're a victim because I don't want them calling me and yelling at me. <laughs> so, oh, so we shouldn't be handing your number out. Okay. Yeah, Sorry well, about not, that. Yeah, not, not a, I, I could just I could just see a, a man walking into his wife after listening to this this interview and saying, honey, I know what's wrong with you. I just listened to this guy, Jason, and this woman, Lena. You're a victim. I figured it out. Aren't you happy? Yeah, don't do that. No, definitely don't do that. <laughs> um, An amazing thing in that is, again, that perspective. And you, you talked about it in earlier on in um, your, your website where, where you were able to kind of just see it for what it is and not mm. put any pressure on it, not put any story on it. Um. And, and I think you mentioned this around about the time that you had your first business and it failed mm -hmm. and everyone else was kind of going, oh, what's going on? And you're like, it is what it is. It's actually awesome. Yep. 
and yep. you went on and did something different. Yep. That's right. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I definitely had some severe moments of panic and when that was happening and, and I was still, you know, kind of in the process of, of really taking more ownership in my life. And, and so going back now, I know that I would have handled that even better than I, uh, than I actually did, but it really did come to a point that I can either, you know, sit here and, and be upset and do the whole, what was me thing. And, and that's okay. Like it's, I, I would never tell anybody it's, it's this weird kind of dynamic, right? Because I want people to understand that they have a choice at any given moment to choose to be an owner of the situation instead of being a victim of the situation. But at the same time, when something happens that you feel down about, you feel sad about, you feel um, uh, defeated by, you don't have to do this, you know, spiritual bypass where you say, I'm not going to, I'm going to push these feelings away. I'm not going to feel them and I'm going to find the silver lining and become an owner immediately. Like that, uh, that's fine. I guess if you want to, but I would never tell somebody you shouldn't feel the way you feel. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's good, especially if you're a coach, it's good. Uh, I actually had this happen to me. There was a, a big project that I was going to be working on for 2015. It was with a, a, an outside partner, an outside company that I was partnering with. And a lot of what I wanted to do in 2015 was going to be centered around this thing. And I, then I got word from them uh, a month or so ago that they had some changes in the company. And so we weren't going to be able to do this, this project together. And so, you know, my first thought was to get into a little woe is me, you know, whiny baby spiral of, of shame and just, oh, you know, why is this happening to me? And I can't believe this. And, and then immediately I got into this, oh, but wait a second, Jason, you're the owner victim guy. Like you can't let this happen to you. You'd be a fraud. And, and so what I did was I contacted my coach. I contacted Steve Chandler and said, you know, I I need to talk about this. And he brought up just something that was really, really profound for me that I I just didn't see on my own, which is again, why it's so wonderful to have a coach. And he said, you know, it's great to feel this way once in a while, because especially as a coach, it reminds you of what it feels like when you're down. Right. It reminds you that sometimes you do have some low points. Sometimes you do have some low moments and you don't have to sit there. You don't have to move in. You don't have to you know, sign a lease and be in that horrible, sad place for the next year. But, you know, f- allow yourself to feel it. Allow yourself to be human, have human emotions, let it pass and create new thinking about what you want to do next. But do it on on your time. That doesn't that honors your own process, whatever that means for you. And with so many people listening in right now who who are wanting to step up into a bigger space and, and hearing all those little gremlins and all those little noises and all those little voices in the back of the head and maybe not even in the back of the head coming up, it's okay to know that because obviously mm. that's the space that they've been coming from and mm. it gives them that space to kind of at least see where they are rather than be in the story. So there's mm. so much value in it. But it's what you choose yeah. to do with it thereafter and being in that process, I guess, that transformation um, yeah. to, to really then make that shift. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's – I want to say it's Emerson. I could be totally wrong on this. But I think it's Emerson who says you can't leave a place you've never been. Mm. And, and so, you know, for, for people going through things like that, it, it's okay. You know, have some awareness of where you are, of, of, of the place that you're in right now. Because once you have that awareness, then you now have the launch pad of where you want to go next. Then you have the gateway to whatever the next chapter is. Mm-hmm. So, so 
What's the gateway of your next chapter? I mean, what is your global message and what is it that you really want to stand for and bring people into experiencing? Not that coaches lead that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's great if, if everybody in, in the world, regardless of your profession, has something that they stand for. Um, it, it doesn't have to be anything necessarily world changing. Maybe they stand for um, spending quality time with their spouse and their kids every night. And to me, that's a that's a world changing, uh, impactful thing to stand for. Mm-hmm. And and some people want to, you know, end world hunger. And that's an equally impactful, uh, wonderful thing to stand for. So. For me, I think it goes back to this owner victim thing and, and just the fact that it's changed so much for me. And I just know that if people really gave themselves permission, permission is another word that comes up a lot for me in, in my world with my clients, but just in, in my own head, there's this whole theory of giving yourself permission and, and not thinking that all the rules that everybody has set out before you apply to you and that realizing you can create your own rules, you can create whatever it is that you want to become, whatever it is you want to, to, to do, whatever impact you want to make, it's all within your choice. It's all within your realm. And to me, that's one of those messages that helps people who are really just hardcore in victimness that they just don't see any way out to start recognizing they have a choice. And then on the other side, for people who maybe aren't necessarily victims, but they just don't feel the same fire in their bellies that they used to feel at some point in their life or, or with something they were doing, this understanding gives them the, the knowledge, the, the the foundation to say, I know how to create whatever it is that will light me up, that will make me enthusiastic, that will make me do something in the world that I'm proud of and that serves other people. And so to me, just that power of choice is, is so powerful in so many domains. Mm. Uh, it's absolutely what I stand for. No, love that. So Jason's the permission slip guy. He's giving yes. everyone permission to just be awesome and to just have the life that they want and to be okay with whatever that is. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> One thing that you, you were saying a little earlier, brought up a story, is also being okay with your own situation. Like... If you're a victim and, you know, you stab your toe and somebody else is going through something worse, own what it is for you. That, mm-hmm. you know, they could be going through something worse and, yes, that could be a big, big thing, but that doesn't make your experience any less. And I think that's also right. another thing that we, we need to just make a point of is, be you know, holding your space filling it up and just standing in, on your own two feet and, and being what it is that you want to experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, as you're saying that, I'm thinking also just about, you know, there's still an element of having gratitude in there. Yes, mm. I stubbed my toe, but there's there's obviously a lot worse things going on in the world. Um, but also, like you said, to own your experience, say, hey, I stubbed my toe. And regardless of what else is going on, that hurt. I got that really hurt my toe. But I'm not going to scream and yell and, and say that, you know, someone's out to get me or the world's against me or that's just my luck that I stubbed my toe. Um, I'm just going to say that was what it was. It has no meaning except for the meaning that I give to it. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's our story that we get to write as we, as we move forward and, and take each breath. Mm-hmm. That's, actually, Absolutely. that's such a nice gift, actually, if you think about it. That's it what, really is. What is our next breath going to be? What is our next story going to be? Yeah. Yeah. There, and there, there you go. That's the creating yourself. What's that? What's that next chapter? What's that next line? What's that next word going to be? What's what's how deep is the next breath going to be? I mean, it, you can take it so granular. 
and and decide exactly where you go next. And, you know, people especially that have these huge, big visions, you know, I, I feel like I have kind of a, a bold thing that I stand for. And so I'm not trying to uh, get on national TV tomorrow and speak to 20 million people. Uh-huh. I just want to, I mean, that would be great, but that's not what my goal is right now. My goal is to, you know, be in this conversation with you and to share that with you. And, uh, and I feel like it's that kind of consistency where you're just consistently sharing your message and sharing what you care about and working diligently uh, consistency over intensity, as you may have heard before, uh, is really the key to, to being able to build whatever it is you want to build. Mm-hmm. Showing up also goes with that and being in that moment. Mm. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. Well, is there anything else that you'd love to share um, as we start wrapping up the call? Hmm. Yeah, I just, you know, I'm, I'm so, again, I'm, I'm really happy that, that I was able to be here and, and connect with you. And, and, uh, for anybody who's listening, I, I hope that there's some value in this conversation and, uh, and that if you do see some elements of the victim in certain parts of your life, just recognize that, you know, you have the choice in this exact moment. Like you could even, you could pause this or stop this right now and know that if you got one insight from this that you can apply and you go do that consistently for the next week, your life will improve. So mm-hmm. the, the thing, the thing I would ask is that at the end of this interview, instead of just saying, Oh, that was really cool. I, I Lena and Jason, those are, those are some cool people. I'm glad I listened. I would take five or 10 minutes at the end of this and just say, what was the one big insight that really stuck out to me that as they were talking about other things, my mind kept wandering back to this thing they said five minutes ago. What is that thing and how can I apply it in my life for the next week? And then just commit to doing that in whatever small way you want and see how it feels, see what changes for you. Well, let's take that a little bit further. So there is a dedicated Facebook group to everybody listening. Why don't you guys come up and post it and and find accountability partners and and just really support each other in that? And uh, um, I'll be checking in on that. Jason, I don't know if you'll be around to to check in on on that Facebook group and just give people a thumbs up and and support them in that. That's yeah, that would be great. I think that's a fantastic idea. And uh, and for anybody who uh, is listening, that uh, is a coach, uh, an established coach, or at least a coach that actually is out there coaching, not necessarily somebody who hasn't started coaching yet. Um, I have I'm putting together a very, very small group. Uh, it's going to be starting over the summer, and uh, the program is called Serve Your Way to Wealth. Mm. And we're really talking about the power of serving as a coach without the you know network marketing, internet marketing craziness all over the world, Facebook ads and stuff, that you can still build a really thriving coaching practice by really, really serving people. So uh, if anybody wants information about that, please feel free to contact me, or you can go to the website sellingbyserving.com. Brilliant. Well, we'll be we'll be adding those links, and if you have any more information about that, let us know, and we'll we'll share that because I think there's some great tips and insiders that people can get from that. Awesome, my pleasure, and thank you again for having me here. This is an amazing summit that you've put together. So bravo to you. I'm, I'm clapping. I don't know if, if it sounds like clapping or if it just sounds like <laughs> weird background noise, but uh, but but I honor you in, in in putting this together with all of your energy and all of your heart, and I think it's going to be really impactful for everybody listening. Thank you so much, Jason. It's been great chatting to you. And again, thank you so much for coming on board and 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 sharing that insight and giving people permission to just mm. be. So powerful. Mm. My pleasure. Here's some things you might not know about Jason. Jason is very passionate about community involvement. He's the vice chair on the board of directors for Pace Center for Girls and the director of Central Florida, 
Tony Robbins Thanksgiving Basket Brigade, which delivers Thanksgiving meals to over 600 families every year. He also serves on the advisory board of several local colleges, including the nationally ranked number one in Florida, Krima Graduate School Leadership Advisory Board. Oh, and uh, back in 2012, Jason was nominated in the Orlando Business Journal as one of the most influential men awards. That's pretty impressive too. So here's what he has to say about that. Actually, it has something to do with leadership and uh, a certain four-letter word. Our next presenter will talk about that. Now, he's a, he's a very interesting man. He is an executive coach, and he has some unusual connections. So what do an award-winning serial entrepreneur, a network engineer, a former rapper who opened for the Wu-Tang Clan, <laughs> and a previously 332-pound man have in common? They are all Jason Goldberg. Come on out, Jason. Jason's company, Leadership Consulting, has worked for companies like NASA, Wyndham Vacation Ownership, and Northrop Grumman. He has also just launched a new website called Meometry. And he's going to talk to us about the mindset required to become a leader. Jason. Thank you very much. Uh, so first of all, I'm I'm way too funky for this little introduction. We're gonna try this again. Andre, hit me up, man. Hi everybody, I'm Jason Goldberg. Hi Tim, good to see you sir. So I actually want to start out on a serious note. I know we're all having fun here tonight, but uh, just real quickly. I was raised by a single mother. And I was raised in a war zone, okay? I'm talking about a place with a lot of interpersonal conflict and a lot of bureaucracy. A lot of t uh, politics and gossip and backstabbing. As a young person, I was actually exposed to people going through chemical treatments and having sharp, sharp objects all around me and being exposed to every ethnicity and, and every religion and every sexual orientation that you could imagine. As you probably guessed, I was raised in a beauty salon. <laughs> My single mother was and to this day is a nail tech. And uh, I've been in all types of salons, and actually, the majority of my life, my young life, I was raised in ethnic salons. So for me, it was actually kind of weird when I started meeting women that did not have weaves in their hair. I was like, what's wrong with her? <laughs> so, something's not right with that woman. So I joke that, you know, it was, it was a war zone, and sometimes it felt that way. If anybody's ever been, I'm sure the ladies in the room, you know that she's shaking her head. You guys know what goes on in the salons. And I was a little kid sitting off to the side playing with Legos or in the break room doing my homework, so I got to see it all. 
And, uh, you know, like I said, I made jokes, but really I learned a lot from being in these places. I learned tolerance. I learned, I learned open-mindedness. I saw good and bad examples of customer service. I saw empowering and deflating versions of leadership. And it, it really taught me one thing, that there are a lot of people out there, some of them are extremely nice and caring and, and supportive, and other people are jerks. And neither of those people are that type of person because of the demographic they belong to. People are just people, right? But there's one common thread that really trans transposes, transfuses, and weaves everybody together, and we'll talk about that in a second. But first of all, I want to talk a little bit more about my own diversity. I know I look like a regular Caucasian guy, and even with those fancy dance steps, you may still think that, but I'm special. First of all, I was born in Miami. Yeah. I was born in North Miami Beach, so. Now, when I was, when I was born, did somebody still cheer for North Miami Beach? It's the first time it's ever happened. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I, I own the city. So, um, when I was born, they broke the mold. And I know that because the hospital I was born in is now a culinary school. So, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but either way. And being born in Miami, I moved to Orlando when I was about two, but I always had this kind of, oh, I'm sorry, hold on a second. Let me go forward a little bit here. Growing up here, I always looked Cuban, right? I said I'm a white guy, but seriously, tell me that kid's not Cuban. Look at the shirt even. I mean, that's like, that's a Cuban kid. So then as I got older, though, of course, like everybody does, your look changes, and I started looking Puerto Rican instead. So that all changed. I wasn't Cuban anymore. And so all through middle and high school, I got lumped in with the Hispanic kids, which was great. They had a great culture. They took me in. Uh, they're really a lot of fun to be around, and uh, they helped me in the three years of Spanish that I took. In, uh, in high school, and even to this day, I walk down the street and I have strangers, you know, oh yeah, que paso, and because I was so ingrained in their culture and because I took that Spanish for three years, I'm able to look at them and smile and nod. <laughs> so, I, the testament to my study ethic in high school. So, then I kind of went even further, right? I, again, being raised around the different people I've been raised around in the salons, I am a huge, huge lover of classical R&B and hip-hop, still am to this day, it's, it's really all I listen to. So, as Annette kind of alluded to here, there's me as not only a rapper, but a fat rapper, so that was fun. And uh, that's me performing live. I really did open uh, for Wu-Tang Clan at one point. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I don't know what the stamp is. Maybe I was under 21 at the time, but I was really, really into it. Like, doing shows all over the place and had songs on the radio and, and all kinds of stuff. It was, it was wonderful. Yeah, no, I think, so, did she say, like, play his music or something? Was that what that was? Oh, okay. We're not playing any of my music, it's not happening. Good try though. Anyways, so that's kind of my personal diversity, but there's a little bit more I want to talk about. It's my professional diversity. So I've spent about a decade and a half in IT and advanced networking, and uh, that's kind of my entire background, and that's, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, uh, I started off as an engineer, worked my way up to be a director of engineering and operations for a multi-million dollar tech firm based here in Orlando, and it was, it was great. This is where I was first exposed to coaching. I had a staff of about 13 or so that would report to me at any given time, and the company was expanding, making money, but the mojo was off, you know, something didn't feel right. There was a lot of turnover, and people weren't really happy. The higher-ups were happy because we were making money, but nobody else was happy below that. So I started looking into coaching, and I found that it really, really did help. I found that it really changed the dynamic of the organization. And I'll tell you a little bit more about how you can do that a little bit later, but that's how I first got exposed to coaching. So then I decided I'm going to take a leap. I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Man, such a glamorous lifestyle. TK can agree, and I'm sure anybody else in here that has a business knows how glamorous it is to be an entrepreneur, right? 
And, uh, and that's when I launched my first startup, Ground Flights. When we got into the UCF Business Incubator, we uh, raised angel funds and we won the Business Innovation and Growth Award in, in 2011. And it was all wonderful and I got super, super bored. So I, I took the leap again and I went to really being a full-time coach. And that's because I realized from looking back, the same way I coach people now to find their passion, to find a way to live at the highest version of themselves, I had to step back and do that for me. And that's when I realized that helping others develop, helping others be creative and to be creators themselves was really my true passion. And so that's what I focused on. Now, as I mentioned, I've been extremely lucky to work with companies like NASA, uh, Northrop Grumman and Wind and Vacation Ownership, and then of course, a bunch of other small companies that I'm equally as proud of to work with. So they don't get their logos up there, but you know, whatever, they know who they are. Sweet people. So why do I tell you all this, right? Am I bragging? A little bit, but I mean, beyond the bragging, it's because I don't want you to go through the same trials and tribulations and dealing with a, a disengaged workforce or just a miserable workforce in your everyday life. I'm sure there are people here that have people reporting to them, or you have a boss, so this could help you with that as well. So the reason you should care is that in all the things that I've done here, and especially with coaching, I've realized that everybody should be coaching. You should be coaching your people because regardless of what size of company you have or what industry it is, coaching is one of the simplest things you can do to really turn your entire workforce around, okay? But what is a coach? People talk about this all the time. The word coach is like the word strategy. And everybody uses it and it's a buzzword and they put it out there but they have no idea what it really means. So I try to stay away from the coach example of like, you know, a personal trainer or a sports coach. Those people are absolutely coaches, completely in every sense of the word. But I take it a kind of different direction. I talk about the coach car that attaches to a locomotive, right? This is the vehicle that helps you get from point A to point B. This is the thing that gives you the structure, the direction, to make sure you're going down the right path. Now when you're coaching people, you're not telling them what to do. You're helping them find the path that's right for them. You're helping to keep them motivated. You're there to give them the support that they need in order to bounce back from failures and to continue moving forward. That's what you do as a coach. So what does it take to be a great coach? Hell, what does it take to be a great leader in general? And that's really what we're talking about here. So I mentioned in the beginning here, you saw in the beginning that I said leadership is a four-letter word, right? So what's the word? L-O-V-E. It's love. This is when I typically lose half the audience. Because they say love. They go into Blackberry prayers. Anybody know what Blackberry prayers are? Some people look down. You think they're praying, but they're really typing on their phone. Yeah, that's when I usually lose them. Because they say love. What is... What role does love have in business? It's, it's going to make me look weak. It's going to make my people walk all over me. It's going to make me look like I'm a pushover. And if that's how you feel about love, then uh, I think we have different definitions of what love is. This is not necessarily the same love you have with your spouse or with your children. It's not about coddling them. It's not about ignoring their faults. It's not about sugarcoating things. But it is about things like empathy, right? Really, truly having empathy for your people. Accountability. You need to hold people accountable for what they say they're gonna do, but you can do that in a loving way. Support. Inevitably, people are gonna take risks, they're gonna fail, and they need to know that they're gonna be able to bounce back with you, with your support. Boundaries, even the most free-spirited person in the world, whatever they tell you, they want boundaries, they want structure. People like to have some kind of parameter to work within. Not saying to tell people how to do their job, but just to give them some structure. And lastly, development. You know, this is my favorite one because people often think that People work in jobs and are happy in jobs based on salary, based on money. And there are, I'm sure, some exceptions to the rule where people really just stay because they're motivated by money. And to be honest, I kind of feel sorry for those people. But truly, what keeps people in jobs is the ability to have some kind of significant work they're doing 
and also having the ability to be developed, to develop and grow as personal and professional beings. So these are all things that is what love means to me. So the real goal here is to build these real, genuine connections with your people. It's not about being boss and subordinate or employer and employee. It's about being partners. It's about being there for each other, supporting each other, being able to count on each other, and being accountable to each other. So there's this Greek word. It's spelled A-G-A-P-E. It's pronounced agape. And I didn't see the phonetic spelling of the word when I first saw it, but this is the Greek word for love. When I first saw it, I saw a different word. You guys have probably all seen this word before, right? Agape. That's, that's the word I've always seen. And agape means wide open. So if the, the theme of love makes you a little uncomfortable, just think about being open with your people. Being open to the possibilities of really connecting and building these relationships. Being open to what can be done through your people. Being open to being a leader that can really support your people to get the best out of them and to have them be engaged. So one quick question here, and be honest. How many of y'all grew up getting the belt? Oof, oof. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm so jealous of you people. Let me tell you why. My mother that I mentioned, love her to death. She is a Jewish pain in the butt, but I love her to death, okay? She always loved me, she's always supported me, but always had very high expectations for me as well. When I did something that wasn't in line with those expectations, she let me know about it. But she didn't yell, she didn't scream, she didn't hit me with a belt. She would look me right in the eyes and very sternly say, honey, I'm not mad, y'all know what's coming? I'm just disappointed. <laughs> hit me, please punch me in the face, say I'm a loser, give me closure. But don't, don't do that to me. Don't, don't just say you're disappointed in me. And the reason that hit me so hard is because I didn't want to do right because I was afraid of her. I wanted to do right because I wanted to show her the faith that she had in me, the support she gave to me was deserved. That I deserved that support ongoing. And if I don't prove that to her, then I could lose that support. That's ultimately how you want your employees to be. Do you have employees like that? If you do, fantastic. Whatever you're doing now, keep on doing it. It means these people are on board with you. They're on board with your mission, your vision for what you want to happen. They want you to look good. They don't do hard work for you because they're afraid of getting reprimanded or fired. They do it because they want you to know that you care about them, that they know that you care about them, and that you're going to continue to support them going forward. That's all it means in the world. The bosses that I've worked for, that I've done the best work for, are the ones that supported me the most, and I wanted them to look good. So that's your goal. So how do you do that? I'm going to give you the tool right here. It's called an O3, okay? And an O3 stands for a one-on-one, -on -one, all right? It's a 30-minute private weekly meeting with your people, one-on-one, -on -one, in your office or in their office or whatever, and you meet every week with your direct reports, one-on-one, -on -one, 30 minutes. If you can't find 30 minutes, if you say you don't have 30 minutes, you're lying to yourself and everybody else. But here's the key. This is what I always get from people when I first mention one-on-one. -on -one, they go, but I already have weekly staff meetings, and I talk to my people all the time. Sure you do. Hey, what's up with uh, so-and-so project? Did you get that finished? Oh, you didn't? Okay, we'll get it done. Wow, awesome meeting. Thanks for that. Uh, that's not for them. That's not for anybody. So that's not what the O3s are about. The O3s are very simple, though, okay? And what I've done is, in DocCaster, I have two documents for you there. One is an O3 email, okay? The O3 email is something that's been very carefully crafted. You can tweak it to kind of make it sound like your own, but it's an email you can send to your people to let them know you're going to be doing this one-on-one -on -one meetings. It, it covers everything about the meetings that we're about to cover, but it also covers the fact that, hey, it's going to be kind of weird when we first start doing these one-on-one -on -one meetings. It's okay. We'll figure it out together. So you guys can use that email, like I said, tweak it so it sounds a little more like you, and you can send it out to your people immediately. 
The other form that I have in Dogcaster is a one-on-one -on -one form, uh, a, a note-taking form for the meeting, so you can take notes throughout the meeting, and uh, you have a place to put information about your employee. I would write down their kids' birthdays and their dogs' names and everything else because having that kind of information about them really helps you to connect to them. But the structure of a 30-minute meeting is as, as, as follows here. The first 10 minutes is all about them. It's their agenda. It's not yours. You don't have a choice whatsoever in what gets talked about. They can talk about work. They can talk about family. They can talk about hobbies. They can vent. They can complain. They can piss and moan. They can do whatever they want to do for that 10 minutes. And it is your job to listen, smile, nod, and help if you're asked. Okay? Now, the second 10 minutes, that's your turn. Right? So now you can talk about whatever you want to talk about in that 10 minutes. Again, that can be work, that can be personal life, whatever you want, whatever feels natural for you, that's what you do. All right? And the last 10 minutes is really for future use, right? So to talk about their development, their goals, their career progression, show them again that you care about the development, it's something that's on your mind more often than when you have an annual review with them, right? That's the worst time to talk about development in an annual review. Whole year's gone by, that's, that's worthless. Now, in my experience, 80% of the time, it becomes a 15-15 meeting, right? They talk 15 minutes, you talk 15 minutes. Maybe you don't get to the last 10. That's fine. Try to work it in once a month, once every other month. Make sure it's a part of it. But the key here is to build this genuine connection, these genuine relationships. It's going to be super weird in the beginning. Why, why am I coming into your office to sit down? Am I in trouble? It's going to be super, super weird. But as you start going through it, in the form that I give you that's on DocCaster, even has some questions to kind of get the conversation going so it's not too awkward. You have some things to get you started. So it's really an amazing thing here. But the key is you have to truly care. If you do this as an exercise and you're not really being genuine about why you're doing it, it's not going to work. You have to start realizing that your people are not human resources or human capital. They're humans, right? They want support. They want encouragement. They need love in the ways that we're talking about. And the, the quicker you can do that, and the quicker you can understand and realize that, the better leader you're going to be. Now, a lot of leaders tell me, oh, I can't do this. This is soft skills. This is empathy crap, I, that's not me. I, I don't do that. Everybody that I've been called in to work with on this type of thing that says, I don't have the soft skills, I can't do that, it was all crap. They could all do it. They were all wrong. And they noticed such an amazing difference in their team when they were able to do it. So I want to leave you real quick with a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. People will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Right? I challenge all of you, start doing these one-on-ones with your people. And I guarantee as you build that connection and show them that they are supported, you're gonna influence people and they're gonna remember that how you made them feel was valued, was engaged, was powerful. And that's the most powerful thing you can give to your people is to have them feel that way. Thank you all so much. If you have any questions about any of this, please feel free to reach out to me. I love y'all. Thank you for your time. Have a good evening. And to wrap up this segment, I've asked him to share some last few gems with all of you. Here's what he came back with. Thank you all for coming here today. It was 20 long years ago that I set out to make the Future Corp business plan, and it is finally complete. After 20 long years of research and market analysis, we know exactly what the future of personal music listening is going to look like. And we are ready to unveil it today. It is a prototype for what we will call the Boombox. This is the future of personal music listening to. We know this will be successful. What? MP, I, I don't know what you're, 
I, I fall, I, I don't, stop making things up. This is the future of music. Our 20 year business plan tells us so. And everyone will own a boombox one day. One day. Hey guys, this is JG and you are watching Meometry TV, the place to be to conquer your fears, plan your escape, and create something epic in this world. Now, what do you guys think of when you hear the phrase strategic planning? If you've been in any kind of corporate jobs, you may immediately think of detailed flowcharts and diagrams and graphs with text and numbers that require a magnifying glass and a degree in statistics to understand and a full day locked in a small room with all the coffee and donuts you can devour. Ah, living the dream. But if you're just starting out though, at least in my experience, planning in your business is an entirely different exercise. You don't have teams of people that are doing market analysis. Uh, you don't have investors or retained earnings or media connections or a huge marketing budget or major contracts. And you know what? Here's the secret. You don't need those things. In fact, if you had those things, it would actually be really easy to lose sight of why you were building a business in the first place. So whether it's planning for a side hustle that you want to do part-time or a full-time biz you're looking to build and grow, planning is essential. But if we approach it in the traditional way, it can feel inauthentic, overly rigid, and completely overwhelming. Plus, not having a plan is one of the biggest excuses I've seen for not starting from people who have the potential to be epic rock stars. Now, in some of the startups I've been involved with, I spent so much time on the traditional 50-page business plans and obsessively detailed strategies that I completely forgot why the business was being started in the first place. It's hard to admit that, but it's the truth. And successful businesses, especially lifestyle businesses, which is what I'm really passionate about, are living, they're evolving, they're heart-centered, while still creating products and services that can change people's lives and, of course, support us financially. So what I'm challenging you all to do in order to turn pro, and I'll get back to what that means in just a minute, is to unplan your business. Yeah, you heard me right. I want you to unplan. Now, unplanning is more of a mindset shift than it is a technical one. It involves self-awareness and flexibility and patience and a release of the pressure we put on ourselves to build the next Facebook during our lunch break. Come on, guys. You will build an actual plan, but it won't be like the plans you're probably used to seeing. Now, oftentimes when we're planning, we make a few fatal mistakes in our approach. I've done this myself, especially as a one woman or a one man shop. We feel compelled to make it exact because if there's any errors at all, it's surely gonna be our downfall. We think it has to be centered solely on profitability or share of wallet or return on investment or analytics or any other number of metrics that if we focus on them entirely, it would never give us that sense of freedom and impact that we desire to create in the first place. So I know what you're saying right now. You're watching this, you say, okay, JG, I get it. I know what not to focus on, but what do I do instead? So back to what I mentioned a second ago about turning pro. Pro is actually an acronym I use to describe the way in which I found it most effective to unplan your business, especially in the very beginning stages. It stands for purpose and passion, relationships, and offerings. And they're in that order for a reason. See, first, until you know what your end goal is, your purpose and what you want to accomplish and the passions, the real passions that underlie that purpose, you're going to lack the direction, the motivation, the fire inside your belly to make your dreams a reality. The bottom line is this. You have to know what you want and why it's so important to you before you even think about your products and services. Now, once you know your P, it's time to move on to the R, relationships. 
And this is where you dig deep to get clarity around who it is you want to serve. What are the biggest results and impacts you can help them to create in their lives and businesses based on your passions, your knowledge, and your experience? And then who do you need to connect with in order to start building relationships with these people? Once you know who you're serving, I mean, really know them, their perspective, their wants, their needs, their struggles, it makes authentically connecting with them and serving them much easier and truly much more fulfilling. And then last but not least, once you're clear on the P and you're clear on the R, you can then move on to the O, the offerings. These are the products and services you're actually going to create and deliver to the people you outlined in the relationship section. Now think about what you're inspired to create here. Let your imagination run wild and write it all down. And then take a step back and make sure the things that you listed directly line up to both your purpose and passions in the P section and the people you want to serve and what their needs are in the R section. This ensures that you're staying on track and delivering what they need, not just what you want to build. Now I've seen countless people and companies approach this in the exact opposite order. Instead of turning pro, they turned ORP, which just sounds dumb. They focused on offerings first and then maybe, just maybe, they would touch on the relationships or try to touch on the purpose or passions if they were lucky. Don't be these people, don't ORP yourself. Now, I want this to be as easy as possible for you to play with because I think it is vital for anyone starting any kind of new venture. So what I did was I created a quick start guide to turning pro and unplanning your business that you can download right now absolutely free by clicking the link that's below this video. In the guide, there are specific directions on how to fill out the included dashboard, and I even put my own Turning Pro dashboard in there for Meometry with my real answers to give you an example of what it can look like. Not what it has to look like or what it should look like, just what it can look like. Now, I'm really proud of this. I hope you get as much out of it as I did when I created it and then went through the exercise myself. Please feel free to share it with anyone else you think may find it valuable. And don't hesitate to reach out to me if you want to share your dashboard. I'd love to see it. Whether you want to brag because you did such an amazing job on your first pass or you have feedback on how to make it better, or if you need some help or want some guidance on ways to get through any blocks you may encounter, just give me a shout. I'm here to support you in any way that I can. Guys, remember, this is your life. This is your dream. It's your business. And it's always going to be a work in progress. That's a great thing. It's about what feels right and fun and good and successful and rich and rewarding. And I don't just mean money to you. Now, I hope this video and the Turning Pro Guide help you to map this out in a way that's liberating and exciting and perfectly imperfect. Now, as you guys know, the power of this community explodes when we share our gifts, our wisdom, and our insights with each other. Let us know your biggest takeaway from going through this exercise below. We're here to support you. If you love this video, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and be sure to share it with your friends. And don't forget to head over to Meometry.com to sign up for exclusive email updates and to get insights that I only share with my most engaged peeps. You know who you are. Now remember that your gifts are extraordinary and exceptional. Be you, do you, and love you because you know what? There is only one of you. I will see you next time on Meometry TV. Lena Skier has a stunning quote where she says, Give yourself permission to be amazing, to be bold and to be generous. Give yourself permission to be valued and celebrated. And give yourself permission to be inspired and transformed. And that's really so true, right? She often talks about how we are waiting for the world to discover us, rather than taking the time to become discoverable. Now, Jason's handing out permission slips to be all that and more.
And I love it when he said, this whole theory of giving yourself permission and not thinking that all the rules that everybody has set out before you apply to you, and that realizing that you create your own rules. You can create whatever it is that you want to become, whatever it is that you want to do, and whatever impact you may want to make. It's all within your choice. It's all within your realm. So here's something I just want to add to that. And that's a quote by Mark Cain where he says, The first step towards success is taken when you refuse to be a captive of the environment in which you first find yourself. So, yes to giving yourself permission to do all of that and so much more. Lena, over to you.